Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Man, good morning, church. Thankful that he is a way maker and in the midst of whatever you are facing this morning and whatever things are around us, we have a God who Uh, is greater than those things. I want to pray for us this morning and we'll uh, jump into God's word. Father, we're grateful, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We uh, declare, Lord, this morning our dependence on you. God, as we open our word this morning, open your word this morning, God, I'm reminded that there are so many things that come at us in our lives. God, there's temptation on every corner. God, that the thief would love nothing more than to steal, kill, uh, and to destroy. But God, we declare that and and are grateful that you have come to give us life and that life abundant, Father. And so we pray, God, that all those uh, things, Lord, that we may have in the midst of our minds as we enter into this time, God, that you would uh, allow us, Lord, to just uh, have clarity in these moments, Father, to hear from you. God, that you might reveal to us uh, the things that, uh, Lord, you would have us lay down. God, that you might reveal to us uh, our next steps in pursuing you. And Lord, we pray, God, that you would have your will and way in every life uh, in this room. In Jesus' name, uh, amen. You know, I was reading this morning that it is estimated that the average person sees six to 10,000 advertisements Every single day. I was thinking about that. I was like, how in the world could there be that many things that come in front of us? And marketing experts are good at putting those things in front of us that we desire. Uh, I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes I'll pull up my phone and maybe I'll search something and I'll say, you know, I want to see, I'm interested in a tent. And you could type in a search for that. And then it seems no matter where you're at on your phone, there's a tent advertisement and you're like, how in the world? And what's even worse is sometimes you're like having a conversation and then all of a sudden you talk about something and then all of a sudden you pick up your phone and you look at it and it's there and you're like, Siri, you are listening, right? She is running. We got, and so there's those kind of moments. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a tendency in our lives to choose the things that satisfy temporarily over the things that fulfill, over even God's long-term blessing. You know, the words me and now are words that we know all too well. Our flesh desires to be satisfied, and as a result of the fall, we uh, have this nature that is driven toward that, and we desire uh, this fulfillment, right? And our society is set up to try to satisfy this me now mentality that we have, and our flesh desires whatever might please it. That's what our flesh desires. It doesn't matter uh, right or wrong, and this world that we live in is driven by appetites. We see so many things uh, just catered to this desire that we have. Our flesh desires and we feed it. And what we see and what happens is so many times what we desire, 
What we long for, that is all that we can focus on. You ever have something you're craving? You think about that, you're just craving some kind of food. Like when Chick-fil-A opened, like you could look at the length of those lines, right? And just the anticipation of that, right? And, and we're waiting and we're like, you know, there's 1,100 people in line, but it's Chick-fil-A, it probably won't take long. I mean, that's what we're thinking. Uh, in those moments, and we're thinking, you know what, that spicy chicken sandwich is going to be worth it. Like when we get there, it's going to be that good, right? But it's not just food, right? We have this longing in our life for so many things, and so much of our world is set up to cater to that. Like we have social media that feeds the likes, right? And we, we constantly uh, have this urge, right, to see if the picture that was posted last has gotten more likes and, and fuels those kind of things, right? Video games fuel those things, one game, Fortnite, which is uh, a game that uh, lots of, of young men uh, play, lots of, of students play. And uh, I was reading this morning that this is a free game, right? This is a game that you don't have to pay anything to download. But over the last three years, and if I remember the numbers correctly, it was like somewhere between 15 and $20 billion of revenue from a game that's free, right? And in the midst of that, in those games and in all those things that are around us, there's this thing that continually is put in front of us and it says, you know what, you need that now. And if you want that now, then it's going to cost you something. And in our mind, somehow we say, whatever that is, whatever that cost, whatever that thing is, we're saying, you know what, this is going to bring me so much satisfaction, so much good that it is worth all of that. And every one of us have had something, right, in our lives that we've said, you know what, this is going to satisfy. And we have finally attained whatever that is, and we've recognized that it's come up short. And see, the reality is that we're made to crave, right? We're made to desire and God has created us that we might desire fellowship with him and that we might find our fulfillment and our satisfaction in our relationship with him. He's given us these desires and they've been twisted by the fall and Satan uses these desires and he drives so many down the path of compromise. And today, as we continue to walk through, we've been walking through a Bible reading plan, and we are in a series in Genesis called The Beginnings. And as we walk through that, uh, this week, we have read about a man named Esau. And we're going to read about this man that traded uh, God's uh, blessings, right? A man uh, who traded God's blessings for this temporary desire. And the reality is that God would love for every one of us to trade uh, our future, to trade our witness, to trade the things that really matter. He would love every one of us to sell out for lesser things, for temporary things. Satan desires that we might trade the things of God for the things of this world. And I want to encourage you, no matter what your age is, no matter where you are as you come into this moment, I encourage you to lean into this story and to ask God, what is it that might be in front of you? What is it that is tempting you? What is it that is in front of you that might cost you everything? What is it that might be in front of you that would wreck your life? I almost titled this message, How to Wreck Your Life, right? What is it that is around that would cost you more than you could imagine? And as I thought about the title of this message, I just kind of wanted to land in a one-point message really today, and it's simply this, don't take the stew. Okay, so that's where we're going to land. Over the last few weeks, we've seen 
how God has given Abraham and Sarah a child in their old age, right? And last week we saw uh, just this incredible time of worship that they had uh, on Mount Moriah, right? That is God uh, provided a sacrifice in Isaac's place. As God uh, did just incredible things in their midst, right? They have this boy named Laughter. His name is Isaac, right? And we, uh, we pick up today in Genesis chapter 25. We're going to read uh, beginning in uh, verse 19, and we'll go all the way through the end of that chapter. Uh, take your copy of God's Word. We'll also have that on the screen. But let's look at this story of Isaac's sons. Beginning in verse 19, the scripture says this. Now, these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, then why am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, now there were Twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment. And they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. For I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. So what use is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and he rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So we, we lean into this story and we see that Rebecca has been barren and she gives birth to uh, these twins, right? And the first one comes out and the scripture says that uh, he's got red hair, not only on his head, but on his whole body, right? He's like all over. And in these days, like names were very significant, right? And, and the way that those kind of things happen, like when we think about names, a lot of times, uh, some of you, uh, some of you ladies, you may have, uh, like maybe you're a, you're a teenager in here and, and you've got a little journal somewhere and on a page in that journal, you've been thinking about all these names, right? I know some of this is probably true, right? You've been thinking and you've been listing out, like I'm going to call him Samuel or, you know, you've got these kind of names for all your kids and they maybe been cute names. Sometimes I remember we had a, a baby name book. Maybe you Google like baby names and you can pull all those things up. When we were thinking about naming our kids, my first child was born with my, uh, my wife's mother found out that she uh, had cancer and in the midst, or she had had cancer for years, but she found out she was very uh, close to death. And in the midst of some of those times, we found out that Sherry was pregnant, right? And in the midst of those moments, 
All of a sudden, in the midst of this very difficult time, God granted us a child, and we named her Hope because God gave us hope. And so there was significance, right, in the midst of that naming. Later, as my son, as we were pregnant with him, uh, we said, you know what? God has granted us the desires of our heart, and we named him Grant. And so there were these things that in our mind, they had meaning. Well, these days, they look, and all of a sudden, he comes out, and he's a hairy little booger, and they're like, Esau. That's what it means, right? That's just covered with hair. That's the meaning of his name. And his brother, uh, the scripture says, comes comes forth in verse 26 with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. Like he's trying to pass him on the way out. He's he's serious, right? He's holding on. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old, the scripture says, when she gave birth to them. Now, Jacob's name is this picture of being a supplanter, this this deceiver. And he's one uh, who is trying to trip up and take hold and get ahead. And so there's this significance in his name. And as they grow up, there's this kind of crazy deal that happens. And we got to be careful as parents, right, with favoritism. We got to be careful uh, not to have favorites. But what we read about in this passage is that there's some favorites in this passage, right? As Esau grows up, he, he's a man's man, right? He's an outdoorsman. Him and his dad, they're probably hanging out at Bass Pro Shop. They're, they're, they could spend all day there. They're ready to go, right? They're probably down at the shooting range. They're, they're doing all these things together. Uh, they might listen to country boy can't survive on their way home. I mean, they're, they're like leaning into this thing, right? This is where they're at, right? And, and Esau is the dad's favorite. And the scripture says that the reason why is because the dad had this taste for games. So he liked the fact that he would go out and he would kill uh, these, this wild game and he would bring that in to his dad. And his dad favored him. His dad uh, had this favoritism for him. But we read also that Jacob, he was, a little, he was a little bit different than that, right? He would just hang out in the tent. They're probably watching like the Food Channel, and they're, they're spending time together. He's a mama's boy, right? He, he loves his mama. They hang out. His mama uh, definitely has a, a favorite, right? He's, he's content to stay back uh, with her in those moments. That's kind of the picture there. And so on this day, uh, Esau's been out doing the hunting thing. He's probably dressed all in uh, like leaves and all that stuff. He's probably put on his first real tree camo. It's like probably real tree back then. And so he's all dressed up. He's been out hunting and he comes back in and the scripture says, says that, man, he's tired in that moment. Like he's been hunting, he's been doing this thing. And Jacob's been back and he's been cooking the favorite stew. And, and like in the Hebrew, when, when we read of, of Jacob's reaction to that, he's like, give me some of that red stuff. That's kind of the, the name of it. And then it repeats it. It's like red stuff, red stuff. It's like almost, almost like he's like just grunting like crazy. Like in a, mm, you know, it's like this, just kind of this picture of him coming in, right? Asking for uh, this stuff, right? And it's so good. It's so good that Esau liked it so much that they nicknamed him after it, right? They nicknamed him Red which was Edom. Uh, And Esau comes in, like I said, he's hungry. He smells it. Any of y'all ever done that? Like I get home and if Sherry's been cooking and all of a sudden I can smell that food, my mouth will start watering. And if it's not ready in that moment, I'll eat the whole cabinet. And Sherry's like, it's only... It's only like 10 minutes. She'd be like, the food will be ready in 10 minutes. I'm like, baby, this is called appetizer. You know, and I'm just putting it down, right? Because I can smell that stuff. And I'm like, I got to have something now, right? Anybody ever been in that mode? That's why they give you all those chips at the Mexican restaurant. That's why you get, like, like we just, we can't wait. Like, that's just where we're at. And so here's Esau, right? He's been out in the field. His mouth is watering and he comes in. And he's like, you got to give me a swallow of that red stuff, red stuff. Like, give me some of that right now. 
Now, Jacob Slick right here, right? He knew his brother's dynamic, right? He's, he understands this dynamic. He's got his number right here. And so verse 31, he says this, but he says, first, now Jacob says, first, send me your birthright. And here's how Esau responds. He says, I'm about to die. What good is this birthright to me? Now, this birthright thing, we don't understand a lot of that kind of stuff in, uh, in our mix today, right? But this, this birthright thing was a big deal, right? The oldest son, right, the firstborn, would get this birthright. And it would, uh, it would equivocate. Like they would get at least double uh, of the inheritance, right? He would get a double portion uh, of all those things, right? At least twice as much as the younger brothers. He, he would be the, the judge of the family. He would be the head of the, the family. And with this birthright, right, came power. And it came all these things, right? And there was a sense of blessing in those things. And, and when we think about Esau in this moment, he's like, what good is this birthright to me? And the reality is it was worth a bunch. But in that moment, he loses sight, right? We, we read and from human perspective, it should have been Esau that would have been the first one, it should have been Esau that through, which came the blessing, right? And we should read in, from our human perspective, right? We should read in the scriptures that when, when God revealed himself to Moses and when he began to teach him, he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and it should have been Esau, right? The birthright was worth so much in these moments. But he, in that moment, loses sight. And everything just in him what good is this to me? And he trades the treasure of God's blessing for the temporary. And when I read this story, I feel like we just need to like get a hold of Esau. Like, can you imagine? Like, like you just want to, I wish you could have been there, right? And, and in that moment, you want to just kind of shake him a little bit. You want to, you want to just be like, come to your senses, right? In the and the one-point message today, right, is don't take the stew. Because that's what we'd have told him. And Esau, are you kidding me? Don't take the stew. Don't do it. Don't take the stew. And we need, by the way, we need some come to our senses, friends, and people in our life that are connected to us and in relationship with us and that we're doing life together enough with that have the courage and have the, the ability, right, to engage in the midst of that and say, come to your senses, young lady. Come to your senses, young man. What are you doing? Don't take the stew. But here's the thing, right? There was nobody in that moment to do that. And there's no guarantee that in every moment of our life that there will be someone to help us either. Verse 33, the scripture says, Jacob said, first swear to me, and he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Right, he did it, right? He traded it all for a bowl of stew. What good is this birthright to me? Man, it is worth so much. But in that moment, he desired that red stuff so much. He smelled it. He looked at it. He desired that satisfaction from that moment so much that he traded it all for a bowl of steel. And we look at him 
And we think, how silly. How in the world could he have done that? For stew? And some of you are thinking, I don't even like stew. But here's the thing. God has given us desires. Desires for good things. And as a result of the fall, Satan understands and knows, right, that our desires have been corrupted. That, that we... Uh, we Think about all the stuff that pops up on Google, all the stuff that comes on our phone, right? I want you to understand something. Satan has our number. The enemy knows what we need, and he looks for the opportune time. The Bible says that he roams about, right, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And Satan looks for the opportune time in our life, and he desires that we might give up what God has for us for lesser things. When Jacob, right, the scripture says in verse 29 that when he had cooked the stew, Esau came in from the field. And if you notice in that scripture, it says that he was famished. There's a guy named Ben Stewart that uh, has written a book that I've been reading on called Rest and War. And in that book, he says that, uh, that, uh, that trials trigger temptation. And I like that thought, right? I like that, uh, just that mental picture, right? That when anything in our life, here's the reality, when anything in our life is unpleasant, when we are walking through stress and when we're going through difficult times, when we've had uh, a difficult time in a relationship, when we've had a difficult time in our life, all of a sudden in those moments, right, a voice that, that is offering us something greater. There's this promise that says, if you'll just take this, right? If you'll try this drug, if you'll uh, reach out and, and pursue this relationship, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, he said, you will find this relief in that moment, right? And, and we, we, we have these options, right, of how we can respond. And many of those, that they would be inappropriate. And in another moment, if we were to list those things out, we would say, I would never do that. That's immoral. That's horrible. That's bad. That's this. But somehow in that moment, we almost feel justified. We almost feel like it's appropriate, right? In that moment, our desires are so strong that we're not seeing things clearly. And Esau is in that moment. Scripture says in verse 32, he said, behold, I'm about to die. Now, I want to ask y'all something. Was he about to die? Anybody ever said I'm starved to death? Yeah, some of y'all feel that way this morning, right? When we get, y'all be like, man, I can't wait to get out of there. If I don't get down, if I don't get, man, I'm going to die. I, mean, I hope they got chips ready at the Mexican restaurant. I mean, we feel that. He says, I'm about to die. But we know, right, that he wasn't about to die. And he said, if, if, I, if I'm going to die anyway, so what good is this birthright to me? But when we're feeling the stress, when we're feeling the pressure, when we're feeling all those things, the promise of that relief is so attractive. The promise of that fulfillment is so attractive, right? And I... I, when I'm stressed, I'm like a stress eater, right? So I have to be very uh, careful about that. I can go all day without eating. And if I've had a stressful day, like when I get home, I could eat and eat and eat and eat, right? If, if I've got a half gallon of ice cream and I get that thing out of the fridge, before you know it, I could eat the whole thing, right? I mean, it's just the, the thing. And, and the reality is, like, like I need to be turning to God in those moments and seeking his peace and seeking his presence and not trying to find comfort in the things of, of this world and trying to find peace in those way, right? Now, ice cream's good stuff, but if you eat the whole thing, it's not so good, right? And so there's this, this reality. We look at Esau and we say, I can't believe he traded it all for that stew, don't take the stew. The second thing I want you to kind of think about is you may not like this stew, but we all, we all got stew. We all have stew. 
there's something in our lives and we got to be careful, right? That pride doesn't get in the way so that we're not like, you know, I can handle this on my own. I mean, I'd have never took the red stuff. There's no way that I would have done that. There's no way that I would have been in, in, in that kind of place, right? And, and we think about as we opened up this series in the beginnings, we looked that God had created everything and everything was good, right? And by Genesis chapter three, we see that our appetites, right? That this desire that they have, God has said, hey, you can have everything in the garden. All these things are yours. You can eat of every tree, but this tree, and somehow Satan twists that uh, in the midst of their mind. And for the first time, right, we see their appetites wrecked everything. What is the value of the world? What is the value of all those things. And they traded it for the one thing. And the lie of the enemy was that God is withholding this from you. God is keeping something from you. God doesn't want you to experience the satisfaction and the joy and all those things. He's a, a joy stealer and he's all those things. But the reality is that, that we will only find peace and joy in him, that we'll only find that in our relationship with him. And the enemy is trying to get us to trade off for things that don't matter. And the difficult reality is that our nation is in such a way that we will believe that lie that we can't wait. That if we don't have whatever our stew is, that if we don't have that in that moment, that we're not going to be able to make it, right? That we won't be satisfied, that, that God is withholding that from us. Sin makes us stupid. I've heard that said. I don't know where I heard it the first time, but sin makes us just lose sight of everything. And so Esau trades the blessing of God for the temporary. These appetites that we have, they seem to promise that we can be satisfied. And what's bad is we can look at other people. We can look at Esau, we can see it. And we're like, are you kidding me? Sometimes in our own life, it's pretty hard to see. We would have yelled out, Esau, don't take the stew. There's a word that's called focalism. You can look it up on Google, and then you'll find like some books on that every time you search for the rest of your life. I'm trying to get you to buy one. But basically what it is, is it's this thought that when you have something that you desire and you want that that it, you get so focused in on it right I love the portrait mode of our cameras and you take that picture and it's got you and maybe your wife or whatever and the whole everything else right is blurred all around it and it's this kind of picture that when you're focused in on the stew and, and you've got this focalism dynamic that you're seeing it and everything else grows dim and man that's bad news if you're looking at the stew but I want to tell you it's good news if you're looking at the Savior. And so we're going to see kind of how this fits in in a moment, right? But young people, I want to tell you, whether you realize it or not, in the moments that you were in, you're facing decisions that can impact your life in greater ways than you can imagine. You are uh, older folks. Listen, the, the stakes get higher as we get older, right? That's why it's so important that as young people that we allow our children and our young people to learn to make decisions, right? And we want to allow them to do those things and experience the consequences of those decisions as they grow older while the stakes are low because as they grow up the stakes of those decisions get higher and they get higher and dads and moms and people in this room I want you to understand the impact of your decisions today can have tremendous impact on your children and on your grandchildren and on generations to follow the future of your family right rests on the decisions that some of us are making in these moments right and there's a battle that rages there's a battle that's there in Galatians 5 the scripture says that if we walk in the spirit 
spirit, right? But there's good news, right? If we walk in the spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then verse 17 says, hey, there's a battle that's going on because the flesh, it sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, right? And these are in opposition to one another so that you do not do the things that you please. And Satan desires that he would keep things in front of us and that we would be constantly choosing the wrong direction. But what I want you to understand is Satan never gives a good trait. The things of this world that seem to be so attractive and seem to be so beautiful, right? They will cost you more than you can imagine, right? He, he, he wants and he desires to see us fall to temptation, to see those things there. But here's the truth. And, and when we think about our lives, if we want the best things in our future, we're going to have to deny ourselves of some things in the present. We're going to have to live our lives in a way that, that we see the long game, that we understand this bigger picture, right? Because every single day, there are people in this room that are tempted to trade it all for a bowl of stew, there are people every day, right, tempted. And I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit, that when those temptations come, and that when you see those things, that the Spirit of God might scream out inside of you, don't take the stew. There's something beautiful awaiting. I pray that those words might be impressed on our heart, right? That you might write them on a note, that they might be on the screensaver of your phone, and that every day you would recognize that there's a battle raging for the heart and mind of every person in this room, and we need to hear from heaven, right? Don't take the stew, right? Before you go on a date, before you go hang out in these places, we need to be in this, this place, right? In Daniel, we read in Daniel chapter one, I believe uh, it's along about verse eight. The scripture says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's diet and with the king's things. And there was a, 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 there was a, a, a purposed heart before the pressure had arrived in his life. And we need to be people that are saying, you know what, I understand that Satan is trying to get me to trade the blessings of God for the temporary things of this world. But I want you to understand something, I'm not for sale, right? I want you to understand that we need to have this reality that says, you know what, we're not going to take the, the stew, right? And I ask you, what is your stew? What is that thing that you're facing? Maybe it's a shortcut in school. Maybe it's a a, a, a relationship that's there. Maybe in the midst of life, you understand that, hey, when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? Halt. Whenever I'm in those moments that I'm more vulnerable to those things and I've got to keep my guard up and I've got to be in a place where I'm walking out of an overflow of relationship with God, where I'm living my life in a way that I'm being controlled by the Spirit of God. That's what that scripture says, that if we uh, are filled with the Spirit or if we're controlled, right? When we're filled with anger, when we're upset, when we're, when we're in those moments, we're controlled by anger. But, but when we we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are controlled by the Spirit of God and we live our lives in a different way, right? Halt. Listen, don't take the stew. And in order to do that, we've got to look at life from a different perspective, right? Our lens has to be different. And we've got to look down the road, right? Like I've got to realize like when I'm thinking about eating ice cream every night and I'm trying to, 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 to engage in some of those things that says, hey, you know what? I need to, to be healthier. I need to make good decisions. And when I look down the road, the reason that I want to make good decisions uh, is for some reason, I want to be able to hold my grandkids one day. I want to be able to get in the floor with my grandkids one day. I, I want to make decisions now that somehow impact the long game, right? 
and I want to en- engage in those kind of ways. And so when I engage in this activity, when we think about these temptations that come in our midst, what is the impact of these decisions going to be in my life? What are the things that I'm doing today? How are they going to affect? And the reality is that, that the, the sinful things in our life, right, the things that we succumb to, right, the impact is greater than we can imagine. James worded it this way in James chapter 1, uh, beginning In verse 13, the scripture says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted uh, by God, right? So what we recognize is that trials come our way and and God may send trials in our lives, that trials are there to grow us, right? But God never tempts any of us uh, to sin. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But here's how we're tempted. The scripture says that each one of us, that we are tempted when we are carried away and enticed by what? our own lust. So, so here's these desires, here's these appetites, here's these things. And then the scripture says, hey, this thing that's in your mind right now, I want you to understand something. We need to take every thought captive, the things that are in your mind, the screens that you're looking at, the temptation that you're facing, all those things, you need to deal with them in this stage. Because here's what James says. He says, when this lust, when it's conceived, when, it, when it's conceived in your life and when it gives birth, what you're going to understand is it's giving birth to sin. And when this sin is accomplished, here's what it results in. It brings death. The things that you're doing, this is what the result is. This is the the end game when you trade it all for things that are temporary and for things that don't matter. When you experience these lusts and these desires that are tempting you, you got to be willing to look down the road. You got to be people that are saying, you know what? My family is not for sale. And I don't care how pretty she is. I don't care how handsome he is. I don't care how much he talks to you and listens to you about all these things. And maybe you're tempted in a, a work relationship or there's something there and all of a sudden you're not talking to your husband and you're not investing in them and somebody else's point in your life. I want you to understand something. There's a price that is greater than you want to pay. Sin is pleasurable for a season. That's what the scripture says. It allures with the promises of good things. It allures and it says you're going to find satisfaction in this moment, right? When that relationship begins and when some of those things happen, there's nobody that says, you know what? One day I want to see my kids every other week. You know, one day I, I want to walk in those kind of things. I want to have this uh, this, this distress that's in my life, right? But it results in those things. And here's the thing. It may not be easy, right? The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, we see them referring to Moses and he says this. He says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, right? There's, there's these passing pleasures and promises of the, 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 the immediate, right? But he says, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward, right? His eyes were fixed on something else, right? In Christian maturity, uh, Douglas Moo is a commentator like it. He says, Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. Listen, Satan comes at a generation of young people and he says this, give me what you got. He says, give me what you got and I'll give you something better. Give me what you got and I'll give you something greater. Give me your purity. He says, give me that and I'll give you pleasure. He said, if you'll give me your integrity, I'll give you good grades. He says, listen, if you'll give me what you've got, I'll give you something better. Give me your convictions. We're going to look next week on the convictions of our character. We're going we're to engage in a conversation about that from the word of God. But here's the deal. Satan says, give me what you've got and I'll give you something better. But Satan is a liar. The truth is not in him. And you have no idea what is at stake. You have no idea the cost of those things that are there. He comes to a generation of parents and he says, give me what you've got. 
and I'll give you something better. He comes to a generation of married people and the forbidden pleasure of a screen or some type of forbidden relationships. I want you to understand something. You trade your kids and you trade your future. Don't allow Satan to tempt you to derail the blessings that he has. He screams out in a lie when he says, give me what you've got and I'll give you something better. Satan makes no deals that are advantageous for you. So what I want to encourage you to invest in what you've got. I want to encourage you as families that you might say, you know what? God has entrusted me with my family and my wife and my spouse and my my. my the things of my life, right? And I'm going to invest in those things, right? If you're a married couple in this room or you're considering marriage on March the 12th, we're going to have a marriage event right here in this room. Uh, and it'll be an all day event presented by Heart for Families. And we want to encourage you to make time for that, right? We need to invest in what God has given us, right? If we'll pursue what God has given us as a priority, it'll be amazing what God will do in the midst of our relationship. What are we trading right now? What is it that we're trading? What is it? Is it a habit? Is it an addiction? What is it that you're looking at in the short term that is promising you satisfaction that Satan desires to use for destruction in your life? And my encouragement to you today is to change your perspective, to look in a different lens, to look down the road and to declare, my family's not for sale, right? There's some, there's some men that need to declare today, you know what? I'm not for sale. My family's not for sale. I'm going to look down the road and I'm going to see what kind of things it could impact. I'm going to look back up the road and I'm going to see what kind of things impact that in my mind? What is it that causes me to, to, to succumb to this kind of temptation? What kind of things in my life are there? What boundaries do I need to put up? What situations do I need to be there? If you open up my computer or my phone, you'll find uh, a pornographic software protection on there. You'll find that my wife gets a report of every single site that I go to. You'll find that, that there are trusted people in my life. Now, now, the reality is, do I need those things? I want, I want you to understand something. There's greater things. I read in the headlines of pastors that fall to immorality almost every single week it seems like we read those kind of things and I just wanted to come my family's not for sale my life is not for sale and if I need to do things to protect that in my life whatever it takes Jesus said if your right hand offends you he said cut it off he said listen you need to do whatever it takes we need as John Owen said we need to be killing sin right or sin will be killing us and we've got to say you know what we're not for sale Instead, I'm yours, God, and everything I have is yours. My family, my kids, my life, my dating life, my marriage, everything about it. My life at school, my life at work, my life around other people, whatever that is, my attitude, my time, everything is yours. And I'm holding nothing back. Because here's the reality. Esau had an identity crisis. He ended up despising his birthright. But I want you to understand something. It is whose we are that is important. And when we realize that we've been chosen by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and that we're part of the family of God, that we've been adopted into the family of God. Listen, I want you to understand it's not for sale. My life is not for sale. My future is in his hands. This is who we have to be as the people of God. We need to be people that will cry out and say, God, make me more like you. If you want something in my life, put it there. If you don't want it in my life, God, I want you to take it away because I know you know what's best and I know that you love me. When it comes to things that are clear in the scripture, when it comes to immorality, I'm going to run, right? There's things that we're going to stand and fight. But the apostle so Paul said, flee sexual immorality. He said, listen, you get out of there. You run. You get away from those things because we are to be people that will pursue the holiness of God. 
And this is my challenge to you, right? We got to get our focalism off of the promises of this world and the stew that will never satisfy. And then we got to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Look at Hebrews chapter number 12. Scripture says this, therefore, and we read about this faith chapter and all these men that we're reading about as we walk through the scriptures. And he says, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, he said, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Not only the sin, right? We see the sin next, but every encumbrance, everything that's holding us back. And it says, in the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And notice this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Listen, he is the author and the, the perfecter. He who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. The scripture says, who for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. And I want you to understand when he sat down at the right hand of God, there was something beautiful about that because it meant that the work was done, that it is finished. It is not our work, but we live out of an overflow of his work in us. Verse three, for considering him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Listen, we need to press on, right? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and they need to be so focused that the things of this world grow strangely dim, right? And we, we need to be in that kind of mindset every day where, where our lives, right? We wake up and we say, God, out of an overflow of my relationship with you, I'll live today. God, if there are things that are in my life, right, I don't want to be focused on anything. So what's your stew? What are you focused on? Is it the things of this world or is it Jesus? My encouragement to you is that we might fix our eyes on him. That no matter where you were looking when you came in here today, whether you were looking at things around you and the problems that were coming against you and the distractions that can be so prevalent in our lives is that we might just reset and say, you know what? I'm not for sale, right? And the only way that we survive in the midst of this life is for our eyes to be fixed on him. That we might run the race that has been set before us. Looking to our own strength. Looking to our ability to resist all this stuff? No. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. May we fix our eyes on him. My hope for you today is that we might, we might recognize our stew. There might be some of you that are close to being in a mess and it may be that God has, a, in his grace and in his mercy, has allowed you to be in these moments today. And we need to turn our eyes from those things and to fix them on him. It may be that you're here and you're hearing this and you're saying, I already took the stew. What I want you to hear from me today is that every person in this room, if we have lived our life, if we've lived long at all upon this earth, every one of us has taken the stew. But I want to tell you something. We have a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of restoration, and a God who loves repentant sinners. And if you've taken the stew, man, and you're still, still pursuing that, man, you need to turn. You need to repent. That's what repent means. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction, and you need to pursue him. Wherever you're at this morning, I pray God would would allow us to have an incredible blessing of someone leaning in and saying, don't take the stew. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful. God, I'm so thankful for your word. 
God, I'm so thankful that there's been moments in my life, Lord, where I've taken this to you. And God, you have, God, you have worked in miraculous ways, Lord, to extend grace and mercy and goodness in my life, Lord, undeserving. Lord, I'm so thankful for the cross. God, the fact that we take the stew is the reason that there's a cross. And I'm so thankful, God, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Lord, that we're not in this alone. Lord, that we have the ability to walk in the power of your spirit, that we have the, the gift of your Holy Spirit, Lord, if we, are, if we are believers, if we've been born again into your family. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be controlled by the Spirit of God. Father, we ask you, Lord, for your Spirit to speak to every heart in this room. God, that you might save some from imminent destruction, from, Lord, from things costing them way more than they want to pay. God, I pray that in the power of your Spirit, you would reveal those things. God, even in this moment. And Lord, I pray that every one of us, Lord, in these in these moments, Lord, would fix our eyes on you. God, as we go into this time of worship, Lord, I pray that if there are hindrances in our life, God, that we would lay those down. God, if there's sin that so easily has been besetting us, it might be the same thing over and over. God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to see our desperate need of you. Lord, that we would be dependent on you. Lord, that we might kill some of those things this morning in the power of your spirit before they destroy us. Jesus, we trust all this in your, in your mighty hands, Father. And we pray if there's someone here that's never trusted you for salvation, that's never been born again into the family of God, Lord, that you would draw them in the power of your spirit. God, that they would believe they would trust you for salvation. That their life would be changed from the inside out. Lord, have your will and way in every life. We love you. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand?